Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel record of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 18 for the Sunday School Hour. Thank you, Pastor Walker, for the opportunity um, to speak this morning. And um, enjoyed the fellowship uh, this weekend and all that God has done. And um, you pray and get to know these college students throughout the day. Um, these are young people uh, that have stepped out by faith. They've raised support like missionaries would to come out here and be a part of this part of the country and to minister in churches like this every single weekend of their semester. They don't work a secular job or anything like that. Um, so pray, be praying for them that God would continue to supply their every need. And um, also pray that God would give them direction in their life. Um, the vision behind the Crown College Extension Campus out here, Pastor Sexton's vision, is not just for these young people to get an experience. Um, we can get experiences anywhere and everywhere almost these days. But really what God, what we're seeking for God to do is not just give them the burden of seeing the need here, but maybe even call some of them back to labor here in the Northwest, to be used of God, to labor in churches such as this, to plant new churches, to see revival happen in this part of the country. And so you pray for these young people. Um, we also have Warren and Devonna Gallantin. They just joined um, a part of the team. A week ago, week and three days, week and a half, yes. And so you be praying for them as well, get to know them. Um, God's using them and has moved them up here, and we're excited. And uh, Brother Joel and Miss Brooke give their regards and hellos, and so continue to pray for them. But thank you for the opportunity to be here today, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do. It's God's word that changes lives. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to preach his word this morning. In Matthew chapter 19, we'll begin, uh, 18, I'm sorry, we'll begin reading in verse 21 of Matthew 18, verse 21. I'm still feeling this week, okay? So you pray for me. I've had coffee. I've had everything caffeine I can possibly pump into myself this morning, all right? So pray for me. If I stutter, stammer, shake, you know what's going on, amen? But by the Lord's help, we'll get through this Sunday school hour. May he be glorified. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times seven? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents." But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt." But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay him the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? 
And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And um, this morning, by God's help, just want to simply speak upon the thought, the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant. When we begin this pastor's scripture in verse 21, you find that Peter has come to Christ and he asks him a question. He says, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? And then he kind of puts in his own parentheses his what he thinks how many times. And what does he say? Ask, till seven times seven. And it's amazing to me because oftentimes as believers, when it comes to things like this, we oftentimes try to put how often we should forgive and how often we should do things in our own box. How far should we go? And I'm going to tell you, Lord, how far I think I should. And um, it's kind of interesting to me. I remember growing up often, my parents, whenever I had two brothers that we were close in age, and every time one of us did something to the other person, guess what would typically happen? Mom or dad would grab both of us and say, whoever did the wrong, what would you do? Hey, ask for forgiveness. And then, you know, you kind of get that pat on the back. Now, what's your job? You're forgiven, you know. And what, what, one of the greatest truths about the word of God, one of the greatest hindrances as well to being completely sold out for God and being used of him is having an unforgiving spirit. You know, oftentimes, if we're honest, we're like Peter. We have a limit of how far we want to go in forgiveness. We have so far of which we say, you know what? You've wronged me this many times, and therefore I don't know how much longer I can do this. You have, you have done the same thing over and over and over again. I don't know how many more times I can forgive you. And Christ, in his response, has a powerful statement. He says, not only until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Meaning this, being a continually forgiving person. I truly believe some of the greatest hindrances to the work of God in churches and the work of God in our own personal life is an unforgiving spirit. Being unforgiveness not only just affects us, but we'll read at the end of the chapter, it affects everyone around us. People that are uncontent, people that are looking for peace, Christians especially in their life, oftentimes, if we're honest, it can stem from unforgiveness. And what God is trying to teach us with this parable is simply saying this, this is how we are to conduct our lives and remember that what we, when we forgive others, we've been forgiven an even greater debt by God. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. And who are we to sit here when somebody wrongs us with something minor and have an unforgiving spirit? And by the way, forgiveness isn't just saying I forgive you, it's forgetting it. You know, we often are quick to say, I forgive you just to get it over with, right? We don't want to keep the strife going. But what do we do after that? We bring it up time and time and time again. You know, I can remember sometimes people would say, oh, I, I would say, I forgive you to my brothers. And then years later, guess what I do? Do you remember that one time you did this to me? That really isn't forgiveness, to be honest. Because forgiveness, the way God has forgiven us, the Bible says that he's blotted out our transgressions. He remembers them no more. And if we're going to live a true life, the Christian life, and all, all of its entirety, all of the encompassing parts of the Christian life, we have to be a forgiving person. We see, first and foremost, the servant's debt. In verse 23 through 24, the Bible says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven 
likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. By the way, there is coming a day of reckoning for every single human being on this earth. There's a world out there right now that doesn't think they're going to be held accountable for their actions. There's many of us, if we're honest, just by the way we live, we don't think there's a time of accountability either. Because if we truly understood what was going to happen in eternity, we'd live a totally different life. There's coming a day of reckoning. There's coming a day of when God is going to come back and reclaim his own and see what we've done with what he's given us. It continues on, it says, And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And for us, 10,000 is not a number that is big or quantity to us because of the fact of how our money system works. But back then, the average yearly wage for a man was about 200 talents. So think about the debt that this man had. He had 10,000 talents. It would have taken him many lifetimes to pay off that talent, what he owed to the king. He was in a great debt. He was in a debt he could not physically pay. And I will remind you that we, before knowing Christ, were in a debt we could not pay. Our sin has to be paid for. We're all born sinners. We all have a sin nature within us. There is a debt that we cannot pay. We could spend a thousand lifetimes trying to pay it off, and we wouldn't even come close because of the holy, righteous God that we serve. This man had a lot of debt. He had a debt that he could not owe. We need to be reminded that of the debt that we have been owed and the debt that we have been forgiven of. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the reason I believe we are so quick to not forgive others is because of the fact that we have forgotten of what we've been forgiven of. Think about the sin that you were in before you came to know Christ. Think about the payment. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. Eternity without God. It's separation in hell, a place of torment. A couple weeks ago in our school of the Bible, we were teaching on hell and personal evangelism. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't, what the pictures that even God gives of hell, we don't fully comprehend. But that would have been the payment for our sins without God. An eternity without God. The Bible says that there's a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell. And there's no way, humanly possibly speaking, we could fix that gulf. Nothing on this earth, not coming here to church, not reading your Bible, not tithing, not living what we call the good life, is going to get you into heaven. Why? Because our sin cannot be accepted in the presence of a holy, righteous God. And this man had a great debt that he had to pay. This man had a debt he could not pay, physically speaking. And we need to be reminded that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was forgive us of a debt we could not pay. And why do we live such a life of unforgiveness oftentimes and bitterness? It's because we have often forgotten of the fact of what God has forgiven us of. This man owed a debt that he could not pay. We see, secondly, the king's compassion. In verse 27, the Bible says this, then the, uh, verse 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. It's kind of interesting because of the fact, humanly speaking, he knew he couldn't do it. He was trying to, but he knew he couldn't pay that debt. But look what the Lord does. Look what the king does in verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant first was moved with compassion 
and loosed him and forgave him the debt. It says first and foremost that the Lord was moved with compassion. I'm thankful for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was moved with compassion. I'm thankful for the fact that Jesus Christ came to the cross, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, and was buried and rose again three days later. I want to remind you, friend, he didn't come to this earth just to do it flippantly. He didn't just come to this earth just to do it, just so that way he could prove he was God. He did it because he knew we could not pay the debt. He did it because even before we knew we needed him, he did it anyways. When we rejected him in our sins and we slapped him literally in the face almost with how we live our lives, he still came to the cross. He was moved with compassion. I think it's an amazing thing when you read the gospel records when Christ, when he saw the multitudes, oftentimes what does it say? He was moved with compassion. What a great God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. I'm thankful he was moved with compassion for my soul. I was thankful that he waited for me for 19 years and he still was moved with compassion. If any man had the right not to forgive, it was the king in this picture. If anybody had the right to say, look, I've given you time. Obviously, he had done a lot of work for him because he was up to 10,000 talents. But this man, the king, was moved with compassion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see, secondly, not only was he moved with compassion, but he loosed him. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says this, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Can I say this, friend? Christ has bought us back. He has loosed us from sins. The chains of sin, if you're a born-again believer this morning, you are no longer bound to sin. No longer is sin in the world and the flesh your master. But Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, has redeemed you. He's not only redeemed you, he's given you eternal life. And not only do you have eternal life, but you have a personal relationship with the very one that created you. What an amazing God we serve this morning. What an amazing thing that he has done for our lives. And I think when we get into eternity, we're going to end up and say, man, I wish I'd have done so much more for him. And we're going to get to eternity, and I think we're going to be overwhelmed with the goodness of God and what we've been given. Not because of who we are, but because of the fact that he's loosed us from our bondage. I think about the Civil War time, all that went on, and I'm reading a book on Booker T. Washington. And um, I think it's called Up From Slavery, if I remember correctly, the, the title of the book. And it talks about the time when the Union soldiers and the military came through at that time, and read the Emancipation Proclamation and told them that they were free and the weeping and the rejoicing that went on. These people had not been freed from sin. How they'd just been freed from mere human man. Can I say this, friend? We've been freed from much more than just the hands of man. We've been freed from sin, death, hell, and the grave. What a great God we serve. Not only did he lose him in that time, but it also says this, and forgave him. Wow. In Psalm 103.12, the Bible says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Man, if anybody had the right to remind the man of his faults, it was the king. Every time the king saw that servant, he had a right to do what? To walk up to him and say, Hey, 
Remember what I forgave you of? Remember what I loosed you of? Remember when I did these things for you? Now you owe me. You know what? I'm thankful because you know what this man did? He forgave him, meaning this, he forgot about it. It was brought up no more. I want to remind you today, friend, that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins, meaning he doesn't bring them up no more. God the Father, with all of his righteousness and holiness, you know why? Because he sees Jesus Christ's blood on our accounts, but it also says, as far as the east is from the west, it is no more. What a great God we serve. This king here is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But unfortunately, we see at the end the servant's unforgiveness. Now just think about all this man has been forgiven of. Lifetime's worth of debt. And the king who had every right to throw him into jail, to make sure he paid off his debt, forgives him of everything. But look what happens to this servant not long after. In verse 28, the Bible says this, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Look at the response for, from verse 27 to verse 28. Look at the response of the king versus the response of the servant. What did the king do? He loosed him. He had compassion. He forgave him. Look what this servant does. He finds another fellow servant which owed him a mere hundred pence, half a year's wages. And it says he took him by the throat, and then he also laid hands on him and said, Pay me that thou owest. What an amazing response of this servant. You know, we would think, you know, what are you doing? You've just been forgiven all these things. But what does he do? He says he finds somebody else that owes him a quarter, not even a quarter, probably less than a tenth of what he owed. And what does he do? He grabs him by the throat and says, you need to pay me now. It's time to pay up. How oftentimes are we like that with one another? We've been forgiven of everything. We have eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been freed. And somebody does something offensive to us. You know what we want to do? We want to grab them by the throat. Say, you did me wrong. Forgive me now. This man had not learned his lesson. He didn't know what forgiveness meant. It goes on and says this, And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Look what he does. He does the same response as the first servant. Literally the same response. He says, have patience with me. Let me do what I can do. Give me time. But in verse 30, it says, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. You know, friend, often, if we're honest, we live a life like this, don't we? We remind God and thank God every day for what he's forgiven us. We say thank you. We say, Lord, I'm thankful you, paid, you freed me from the debt of sin, death, on the grave. And then somebody wrongs us and we say, I can't forgive them. And in our mind, we put them in our prison. We won't forgive them. They ask for forgiveness. We may say it tongue in cheek, but then we remind them and remind others what they've done to us. Friend, not only was this man an unforgiving person, he was an unthankful person. Our theme for this semester, Brother Joel has been led to, and everything give thanks. Can I say this? Out of a heart of thankfulness often comes a heart of forgiveness. Because we remember what we, what we were in sin. We remember where we were without God. 
and where we are today even, right? We're still sinners saved by grace. Can I remind you that to live a thankful life, a content life, a peaceful life, a life of peace, we have to be forgiving. Look at what happens at the end of this passage, though. For the sake of time, we'll conclude here. The servant is brought before the Lord, and the Lord, in verse 32, says this, Then his Lord, and after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. You know, we're going to get to eternity someday, and I would hate hate to be called wicked servant. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This one was called wicked. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 35, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forget not every one his brother their trespasses. Two things as we conclude. We see first and foremost the tormentors at the end of this. Some of the most miserable people on earth are unforgiving Christians. You know why? Because they're in torment. They may not be in physical torment, but they're spiritually in torment. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been there at times where somebody's wronged me, and I thought, I can't forgive them of this. And God has had to teach me, you need to learn to forgive. You know why? Because you're in torment, you're in agony, you're in, you're, you're in conflict. Why? Because God is not a God of unforgiveness. He's a God of forgiveness. First John says, if you're going to walk in the light, you need to have fellowship or you're walking in darkness. Can I say this? Unforgiveness is walking in darkness. Forgiveness is walking in the light. And he goes on and he says this, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts. Meaning this, it's not just saying it. It's truly meaning it within. We need to be people that when we say, I forgive you, it's not just I'm saying it, but I truly am meaning it. I'm thankful for when people have forgiven me. And I'm thankful for when they've done that. You know how I know they've forgiven me? Because they don't bring it up again. <laughs> they've forgiven me of my trespasses when they have every right not to forgive, but they have. And I'm sure you've been there and you're thankful for the people like that. We need to be the same. Louis Zamperini, a famous athlete in the 1930s, ran in the Olympics in Germany. He was an Italian young person who grew up Lived his life, and during World War II, he enlisted into the military. It was part of a bombing crew that went down over the Pacific Ocean. And him and his friends survived 40 days and 40 nights out on the ocean. And as you may well know, during that time, a lot of those men lost their lives in training exercises than actual combat because of their planes. They got picked up by Japanese soldiers on an island. And they took them to a place where they had solitary confinement. And while they were in there, they would separate them and beat up on the one and let them hear the screams and bring out the next one and try to interrogate them. And eventually they figured out who Louis Zamperini was. He was an Olympic athlete and decided to save his life because of that fact. Eventually he was brought into a Japanese POW camp in Japan where he met a man by what they infamously called the bird. And during that time, Louis Zamperini had 
um, an interesting relationship with that man. The bird hated him because of who he was. And the man did his very best to beat Louis Zamperini out of what he could do. And Louis Zamperini survived the war, but as you know, during POW times, it's not like it is today with all the awareness that was going on. He arrived back on American soil, and his father said the, made the comment and was overheard by um, one of the newspaper people that they could not break my son. And out of that idea came a book called Unbroken by Laura Hildebrandt and also a very well-known movie a couple years ago. But the fact of the matter was, Louis Zamperini was broken. He may not have been broken without, but he was broken within, in what we would now call PTSD. And Louis Zamperini's, um, so to speak, his medication for that was drinking. And he began to drink heavily to try to numb the pain, all that he had gone through, the physical, verbal torment that he had went through. And at that point, he had been married. He had tried again for the Olympics. He had failed, had an injury, was done with his Olympic career, and was struggling. His wife went to a Billy Graham crusade in California in the 1950s, heard the gospel, and got saved. And while they were on the verge of divorce, she said, I'm going to stay with you, but I want to encourage you to come to one of these meetings. And you know how we are as men. We're very prideful and don't really want to do everything that we're told to do. He hesitated, but eventually he came. And on one evening, he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior, changed his life. But the story doesn't end there. What's amazing about his story to me is the fact that eventually God began to work in his heart to forgive those men that had wronged him. The verbal abuse he went through, the physical abuse, some of us, we can't even fathom what those men went through those years. But he said he began to work, God began to work in his life, and eventually he said, you know what, I forgive them. But not only that, God gave him the opportunity to go back to Japan. And he went back to Japan some years later, and where those men were held in prison camps, he went through and found some of his guards and said, I forgive you, and gave them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we haven't, I don't think, I don't know all of you, but I know I have not gone through anything like he went through. But the power of the gospel working in his life to forgiving them. Can I say this, friend? You will not naturally forgive somebody. You may be here this morning and you say, I can't forgive them. You don't understand what they've done to me. I don't. But can I say this? Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ can give you the strength to forgive. If Louis Zamperini was here today, I dare say he would have said, in my flesh, I couldn't have forgiven them. What they did to me, how they wronged me, what they did to me that was inhumane, I couldn't forgive, but you know how he was able to forgive? Because Christ dwelled in him, and he yielded to the Spirit. If we're going to live a life of forgiveness, not like the unforgiving servant, we need to allow Christ to work in our life. We need to be yielded to him. Last year, I was very convicted of some things in my life. One of them was the fact that it's not imitating Christ. Oftentimes, we pray, Lord, help me to be like you. Can I say this? Christ is already in us. It's not about being like him. It's, about, it's allowing him to conform us into his image. Allowing him to work in us. And one way we can is by being, being a forgiving person. Revivals have broken out because of forgiveness. Several years ago, the Burlington Revival broke out and lasted for several months. But the key to it was 10 years before that revival broke out, two people in that church got right with God and got right with one another. 
they forgave one another. And out of that, several months of people getting saved happened. Why? Because two people got right with God and chose to forgive. What God could do with us if we'd be willing to forgive one another. I don't know your heart this morning. I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but I encourage you, when you go through times of difficulty, if somebody has wronged you, if you're going through things and you're bitter towards somebody, can I encourage you? Ask God to work in your life so you can forgive them. Because that unforgiveness may be the thing that is holding you back from being greatly used of God. May we be a people of forgiveness. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you've done. And Lord, I thank you for how you've reminded me time and time again to forgive others as you've forgiven me. Lord, help us to be a people of forgiving, forgiveness. Lord, we, we so oftentimes fail to remember what you've forgiven us of. And that's why we often are people that don't forgive. You've forgiven us of a debt we could not pay. And yet, how often are we unforgiving to those that don't even owe us a quarter of what we owe you? Help us, Father. Use us, I pray. May we be a people yielded to your spirit.